0: Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, I want you to go there with me if you will please, and uh, this is, I plan on preaching this, I guess the last couple Sundays, (laughs) Uh, Sunday nights, and we haven't had a Sunday night service, so, and uh, I've had this ready to go for a couple weeks here, and I feel like this would be the Lord's will for us to stay right here with this thought, I'm going to read quite a bit of... Scripture, it's not a lot, but maybe a little more than what we normally would read. But I want to get this entire narrative, and I want you to do your best to pay attention and and listen uh, while uh, we read these verses. And uh, sometimes, you know, when you read a lengthy uh, portion, your mind has a tendency to wander just a little bit. But just try to stay in there and, and, and think about what is being told to us here and uh, try to visualize it in your mind and put this story together. And I believe it will help you. And um, a good imagination will help you read the Bible. That's one thing our, our, I think a generation is missing out on these days is a, is a good imagination. Everything's shown to them. They've seen it all because it can all be put together to be able to form images and think about things in their mind just from the pages of a book or Something like that. Our generation is really lacking in that. You really need a good imagination. Brother Dean McNeese told me when he was a young preacher, he was standing in line for lunch at the Faith Baptist Camp and got right behind uh, John Phillips, you know, the, the, comment, the commentator. Right? all He con- got his whole commentary set. And Brother Dean said he got in line behind him and he asked Brother Phillips, Dr. Phillips, he said, uh, do you have any advice for a young preacher? Uh, and uh, help me, and here's what Dr. Phillips said. He said, read science fiction. (laughs) That's what he said. He said preachers need a good imagination and to be able to be a good preacher. So anyway, so there you go. Use your imagination as we read this, all right? It's nothing to do with science fiction, but it'll uh, help you anyway. I want to start reading in verse 13, I believe, and uh, actually verse 14. What I want you to know, though, is that at the beginning of this chapter or the verses at least preceding our text tonight, Jesus has sent out his disciples, and they uh, have gone out and uh, preached the kingdom, and uh, there's miracles that are being done. In fact, verse 13, let's read that actually. It says, And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. So there was all kind of miracles being done. Now here comes Herod into the picture, and here's what I want to focus on. Verse 14, And King Herod heard of him. Who's the him? That's Jesus. Heard about Jesus for his name was spread abroad. And he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Others said that it is Elias. And others said that it is a prophet or as one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, It is John whom I beheaded. He's risen from the dead. It's amazing how a guilty conscience will get a hold of you. Amen. Verse 17. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him into prison for Herodias' sake his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and an holy, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Man, I could preach right there a little bit. Verse 21. And when a convenient day was come that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, his captains and chief estates of Galilee. And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him, The king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. And he sware unto her, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it thee unto the half of my kingdom. And she went forth and said unto her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in straightway with haste unto the king, and asked, saying, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger the head of John the Baptist. And the king was exceeding sorry, yet for his oath's sake, and for their sakes which sat with him, he would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel, and the damsel gave it to her mother. I'm going to stop reading right there. And I want you, there's all kinds of things in this text that we can point to for the message tonight, and we will point at a couple of them. But I want you to just think about what we just read, especially the point, and we'll, we'll lead up to this, but I want you to just think about the point where this young lady is dancing in front of King Herod. And he is so intoxicated with lust that he asks her and has to compel her twice. Look at the text. He did it twice. Said, I'll give you whatever you want up to half my kingdom. You just tell me what you want. Now, I'm going to throw out a word to describe that. And I'm going to put a warning label on this message tonight because I'm going to use a word, it's in my title, and I'm going to use it over and over and over and over in the message. And if this is a word that you're not supposed to use at home, young people, don't use it at home or you will get a spanking. But I'm not at your home and your parents are not my parents. And, uh, and it's a word I use frequently. And so I'm going to use it tonight, okay? But if you're not supposed to, don't use it, all right? Well, let me tell you what you can write, if you want to write this in your Bible. Well, let me tell you what you can put next to that right there. Herod offering up half the kingdom to this young lady, giving up all kind of stuff. And here's the word, stupid. That's stupid. All right? Now, if you're not supposed to use that word, Aiden. all right, then don't be using it. I don't want to get you in trouble, all right? But uh, that's stupid, all right? And here's my... Here's my title tonight. Here's what I want to preach on for a few minutes. Sin makes you stupid. How many of y'all know that's right? Sin will make you stupid. it make you do stupid things and make you <laughs> make all kind of stupid decisions. I'll probably use that word a lot tonight, just letting you know, All right. But uh, sin will make you stupid. And Inherit- There's a lot of examples in the Word of God we could look at tonight to prove this point. But here's the one I got on my heart this evening. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for your many blessings. And Lord, we're thankful for the good service you allowed us to have here already tonight, Lord, this morning. I pray that you'd please help me, Lord, tonight. Lord, I, 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 want, to, I want to preach this message in the fear of God. I want to preach this message considering... Uh, myself, uh, lest I also be tempted. And Father, I pray that you would please uh, make us aware, make us keenly and consciously aware of the deceitfulness and the destructiveness of sin tonight. And Lord, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, I don't know if you've ever seen somebody that is intoxicated with alcohol uh, but it's usually not a very pleasant. Uh, it's not a very pleasant sight, and I don't want to bring up memories of anything that might be in some of your past where you live that way, and, and you are around that, or maybe you grew up in some of those things at all. But I just want to point out the obvious, and that is this: when somebody is intoxicated, when they are under the influence of uh, alcohol or drugs, they say stupid things and they do stupid things, and they make very poor choices. All the while, usually. Totally oblivious to everything that is going on around them, they're oblivious to what is right and oblivious to what is normal. The the drugs or the alcohol or whatever they have taken, it has uh, it has. Uh, altered significantly their discernment and their perception and they're not able to make decisions and have discernment maybe like they normally would. Can I tell you, I want to make an analogy tonight and say that sin has the same kind of effect and can have the same kind of effect on your life. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've been a part of it and you have too. Don't be sitting there like, uh, like some innocent person tonight. We all know what it's like to be So intoxicated by sin and temptation that we've made poor choices and our minds have just kind of flown away. Our spiritual minds have been darkened and just kind of taken a a leave of, of absence for a little while and we've done things we wish we could go back and change. Can I get an amen right there? So I ain't throwing stones at anybody tonight. If anything, I'm telling you something I know from experience and something we all know from experience that sin makes you stupid. And it makes you do stupid things. And there is a deceptive nature to sin. It deceives you. It will take you and make you think that reality is one thing when actually reality is something totally different. And you begin to see things not as the way they are, not as the way they are if you were thinking sober-mindedly, but the way that our enemy, the tempter, wishes for them to appear to us. The writer of Hebrews... uh, to warned us that we could, our hearts could be hardened. Here's what he said, Hebrews 3.13, that our hearts could be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. There is a deceptive nature to sin. Sin has a deceitful nature to it. Paul said in Romans 7 about sin, that it. he said, sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. Deception is when you believe one thing is true when actually in reality something totally different is actually true. And sin has that quality about it. Uh, Paul told us in Ephesians 4 that we ought to put off concerning the former conversations the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. According to deceitful lust. Lust can be deceptive. There is a built-in deception in every temptation to sin, or you wouldn't do it. If you could actually see sin for what it is, how horrible it is, and how ugly it is, and how awful it is, and actually what it did to our Savior as He hung there on Calvary for our sin, if we could see the end of sin, if we could see the consequences of sin, if we could see the wages of sin and see that immediately when we're tempted to sin, we would never do it. We would never engage in it. But how many of you know that's not how sin operates? It doesn't show you the bad. It doesn't show you the ugly. It doesn't show you the inevitable. It shows you the the, the immediate and what is right now and the gratification that potentially could be yours if you engage right now and if you give in right now and what would satisfy and gratify the flesh right now. And it does not show you what's down the road. It shows you the bad but it never shows you the hook sin is deceptive it's deceptive the longer you engage in sin the greater the deception becomes I've seen it so many times the longer you engage it seems like somebody people's minds they turn to mush the heart that was once sensitive toward the things of God now it just And in fact, the people that once used to stand for something and say, this is wrong and we're not going to do it. They don't see anything wrong with it anymore. You say, what's the deal? Sin makes you stupid. Amen. Sin will make you stupid. People under the influence of its deception fall prey to horrible decisions and devastating consequences. And our text tonight is a perfect illustration of this truth. Herod, he's called King Herod, uh, I, I, and he is, he is a king. That is his title, but he doesn't have necessarily a kingdom like what you and I might think about it. He, that was the title, but it was, he was really just a local leader that was given the title of king. Caesar is the, the, the main leader of the Roman Empire. He had just a, just a territory. He was a territorial leader. We recognize that name Herod. Herod is really more of a title than it is a name, but uh, the Herods uh, through the Bible—you think about Herod killed all the all the the, the, the children uh, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That would have been this Herod we're reading about. That would have been his daddy, Herod the Great. This is Herod Antipas, be a little bit different, and uh, he is the son. Now we read about him. You read about him through—he's there. This Herod that we're reading about, he's present at the trial of Christ, uh, some of it, and then you can read about him in Acts. He kills some of the disciples and then uh, at one point uh, he's so full of pride and people are saying he's a God and he didn't give God the glory and he took credit for being a God himself and immediately the real God smote him. How many of y'all know God controls the worms? This Herod we're reading about ultimately his body is eaten by worms. Worms in the middle of the great parade that he was receiving glory in. This is that, Herod, and I want you to see, and we've already noted tonight that he had a sin problem. He was intoxicated and controlled by lust. His intoxication with sin. It caused him to think and do some stupid things. Let me just list, we'll list a couple things about about Herod here. I want you to know, and it's in our text here, that he stole his brother's wife. That's stupid. That's foolish. That's foolishness. And the woman that he stole from his brother, according to history, Herodias, he said, well, they got kind of almost the same name. There's a reason for that. They're kind of related. You got Herod, Antipas, we're talking about Philip, his brother, who was married to this Herodias. Herodias is the daughter of another brother. Herodias is actually a niece. You say, that's disgusting. Sin will make you stupid. Sin will make you do stupid things. So he stole his brother's wife, who was in reality his niece. He was compelled by this woman who was pretty wicked in and of herself to put John in prison all because John was preaching against their sin. Herodias was the one that caused him to do that. Of course... He acquiesced to the request. It's his fault. And then, as we've already pointed out, probably the height of the stupidity here to me anyway, is that he offered half of his kingdom to a girl who was his niece's daughter just because he liked to watch her dance and couldn't control his lust. If I didn't have any other reason to be against dancing, it'd be it got one of my friends killed. Old John the Baptist, a fellow preacher in the Lord. Amen. He carried out the murder of a man of God just to keep a stupid promise he made in a moment of passion. That's stupid. And when Herod heard of the miracles of Jesus, this crazy sin had made him so crazy that he concocted this idea in his mind that that's John the Baptist. He's back from the dead. And his guilty conscience began to make up crazy stories. What's funny is John the Baptist, he never even did a miracle. When he heard about all the miracles that Jesus had done, he thought it's John the Baptist. John the Baptist never even performed miracles. He wasn't a miracle worker. He was just a preacher and a baptizer. But it didn't matter. Sin had done made his mind warped and crazy, and his guilty conscience got a hold of him. And when I, could, when I read this text, I could not help but notice the intoxicating effect of sin in one's heart and one's mind. And I want, you, I want to point out just a couple things tonight, and I want you to listen real close. I, I notice, and I'm just going to highlight, and some of I've kind of really already made mention of them, but I want to just organize these thoughts just a little bit and, and just highlight, highlight this. There, I, I see four things, four symptoms of what I'm calling sin-induced stupidity. How, How do you know if sin has made you stupid? Well, here's you a stupid checklist. Are you ready? Number one, how do you know sin has made you stupid? Number one, you demonize people that are trying to help you you demonize the people you hurt the people that are trying to help you verse 18 tells us that on at least one occasion one of John's sermons was on Herod's sin and it was a message on either incest or adultery or divorce or remarriage or all of the above and he began to preach against Herod's sin and what he was doing he straight up told Herod said it is not lawful and he wasn't talking about the laws of Rome he was talking about the laws of God by the way it don't matter what the laws of the land say this is the law that you'll be judged by one day amen he said it is not lawful he said it is against God's word for you to be living in that relationship that you're living in he was confronted with his sin Now, like every one of us, when we're confronted with our sin, we have an option. Every time you're confronted with your sin, you have a choice. When you walk out of this building after you're confronted with the Word of God, with your lifestyle, with your choices, with your sin, and you walk out and you don't do anything about it, that's actually a choice. Your choice, you either got one or two choices. You can either repent, that means you change your mind about the way you're living, and you agree with God and His law about what He says. You can either repent or you can rebel. That's the only two choices you got. Either there's repentance or there's rebellion. And when we're confronted with our sin and with the Word of God, and John wasn't just making up stuff willy-nilly. He was preaching the law. He was preaching the Word. He said, John said, "Uh, on the authority and on the basis of God's holy, perfect law, you're in violation. And immediately when Herod was confronted with his sin, he had a choice to repent or to rebel. But under the influence of this woman, Herodias, a sin that he would not quit, a sin that he would not drop, and his mind twisted and warped by sin, he opted for rebellion. And he took that preacher. Listen to me now. He took that preacher and instead of going to the altar and getting it right or getting along with God and repenting and making things right, instead he took the messenger, he took the one that was preaching against his sin and at the request of this Herodias woman, he put him in prison because he could not say no. And later on, he had this preacher Beheaded the request of the same woman. Let me say something. The best opportunity Herod had for a blessed life and a God-favored life was that preacher right there. Y'all listen to me tonight? Listen to me now. The best man, when the preacher preaches against sin, he's not trying to, he's not trying to ruin your life. He wants you to have a blessed life. Listen, I don't know any preacher worth of salt that doesn't want God to bless his people. God, I, want, I want God's blessing to be on your life. Hey, listen, teenagers, I want God's blessing to be on your life. I want God's blessing to be on your home. I want God's favor to be on your life. And you won't get that living in rebellion. Against God's Word. The best thing you could ever hear is a man of God to tell you what the Word of God says and then adjust your life accordingly. Listen, I'm not much and I haven't done everything right in my life, but I want to thank God for the John the Baptist that he's put in my life that stood up and preached the Word of God. And if there's been anything good in my life at all, it's because I have adjusted my life In accordance with this Bible right here. Every time I've rebelled against it, it's made me miserable. And every time I've adjusted my life according to this Bible, it has made me blessed. Every time. And it's the same for every one of us in here. The best chance, the best opportunity Herod had for the best life and the blessed life was John the Baptist preaching to him. A lot of times people think, man, preacher preaching against sin. Man, that's judgment. That's the judgment of God. That's the mercy of God. That's the mercy of God. John the Baptist preaching against Herod's sin. That was not judgment. That was not judgment. Don't judge me. Don't judge. I'm not judging you. I'm not judging anybody. I'm just telling you what the judge said. And if you want, listen, this is the judge. I am an instrument of the mercy of God in your life. It has nothing to do with me. It's just the position that God's put me in. I come up here and tell you what the Bible says and say, look, if you will adjust your life accordingly, God will have mercy on you. Whoso confesseth his sin and forsaketh his sin shall have mercy. So when the preacher gets up and calls you to repent and calls you to holiness, I want you to have mercy. I'm not trying to judge you. I want mercy for your life. This is God's mercy on your life. Amen. Merciful. God's judgment came when the worms come up out of the ground and devoured his body. That was the judgment of God. But Herod's life could have been drastically different, couldn't it have been? If he'd have responded differently to this preacher right here. But instead of thanking God for him, instead of listening to him, instead of realizing it's the mercy of God, what did he do? He hurt the very person that was trying to help him. And by the way, if you try to help people, let me just let you know about something. And this ain't just for, this is for anybody, It's for preachers, for anybody. Listen, if you, to, if you try to stand for truth and help people and speak truth to people and tell them, just be ready to be demonized. Listen, I got people that hate my guts. All because I just told them what this Bible says. I got people who don't like me because I just, I've, I've gone with this Bible. But you know what? It doesn't matter because it's not about me. It's not about people liking me. If I wanted everybody to like me, I'd go buy an ice cream truck and run it through the neighborhoods. Everybody likes the ice cream, man. If you want everybody to like you, go sell popsicles. But if you want to try to help somebody, if you want to get down in the trenches and try to rescue souls and help people, just be ready for those same exact people that you try to help to turn around and spit in your face. They did it to Jesus. Amen. And if you can't handle that, if you've got to be popular, listen, then this thing may not be for you. Amen. 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 I'm going to tell you something. How do you know sin has made you stupid? It's when you start hating and demonizing and talking bad about the very people that just love you and been trying to help you your whole life. Amen. When you demonize the very people, sin will cause you to make bad guys out of the good guys. Amen. You can tell that sin has made you stupid. When you make enemies out of the very people that are standing for the Word of God, you've made the... Listen, you've made the wrong guys the bad guys. And Herod is in hell right now. Herod's in hell right now. Without an excuse. Because listen to this. Herod not only had a preacher in his life, Herod had the greatest. That's what Jesus said. He said, born of woman, there's none greater that John the Baptist. Herod had the greatest preacher in the world, according to Jesus. And he cut his voice off. He said, I'm tired of hearing you. Really was that woman, but he let her do it and he, he went along with it. Say, so why would he do something so stupid? And Herod liked, Herod liked John. He heard him gladly and did many things and observed him and all that. Why would he do something like that? Sin had made him stupid. Amen. And it may, it may have you. So you think your parents are just the meanest people on the face of this planet. I'll tell you why you think that. Because sin's made you stupid. And I say that with all the respect I can muster up. Amen. That's stupid. Your parents love you more than anything. And if they put boundaries and rules and regulations in your life, that's to help you, not to hurt you. This world wants to use you and abuse you and chew you up and spit you out. They don't give a rip about you. Your parents love you. Your preacher loves you. These folks around here love you. Amen. But sin has made you so stupid that you're you're hurting the hearts of the very people that have given their life to help you. And ain't nothing makes it, ain't a lick of sense about that at all. Ain't a lick of sense about that. Amen. Say, so who you mad at now? I'm just mad at the devil. Amen. Mad at the devil. Amen. Number two, Now, how do you know sin has made you stupid? Well, you demonize the people that are trying to help you. Number two, you rationalize behavior that should be wrong to you. You begin to rationalize sin. Sin can so twist and warp your mind that things that are obviously and blatantly wicked can seem normal to you. Just look at our society. Our society is normalized and rationalized. Things are absolutely insane. It's like, what in the world? Are we living in some kind of bizarro world now? What in the world is going on? Women are not men. Men are not women. Men cannot get pregnant. What in the world is going on here, people? Sometimes you watch the news, you think like, are we the only sane people in the world? What in the world? Are you serious? Anybody ever think that? Like, pinch yourself, wake up. Is this really real? Oh, it's real. And it ain't getting no better anytime soon. It's going to get worse. It's going to get a lot worse. And this world has rationalized all kinds of stuff. But I'll tell you what. I've seen church folk do the same thing. Listen, if God's Word said it's wrong, it's just wrong. don't matter if it's, if, if it's stuff the world's doing or stuff the world's left behind and don't even think about it anymore. If it's still sin, it's still sin. But when you can rationalize sin, sin has made you stupid. Things that ought to be wrong seem normal to you. Think about what he did. I know we already kind of highlighted this, but think about it. His brother's wife. Now, what in the world, in what setting, in what world would that even be rationally okay? Not only that, but it's his niece. In what world would that be okay? And then if it doesn't get any more twisted, The daughter, the the girl of his niece that he's married, she's out there dancing for all him and all of his friends. What's normal about that? Then he's imprisoning and murdering a prophet of God only because his message ruffles the feather of his unlawful wife. His list of stupidity goes on and on and on and on. But you know what? And his sin warped mind at all it was just normal to him. The only way that you can engage in things like that is to somehow tell yourself it's appropriate or somehow tell yourself it doesn't matter. And can I tell you what? It doesn't matter what you say to yourself, it doesn't matter how you deceive yourself, and sin deceives you and you deceive yourself. It doesn't matter if God said it's wrong, it's wrong. Amen. Fornication is wrong. Y'all know that, right? Listen to me. I don't care who's doing it. I don't care who's putting it all over Facebook about doing it. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. I don't care who's hearting and liking and loving and everything. Everybody, listen. Everybody, look up here. It's wrong. Adultery is wrong. And listen. Drinking is wrong. Lying and cheating and stealing is wrong. Parting is wrong. Amen. It's wrong. It's sin. And what's crazy is, is a preacher gets up and says that, and it's like, whoo, man, he's getting bold. 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 That's just, that's just normal. That's like black ink on white paper to me. That ain't bold. Somebody to go out and push that in everybody's face and make us try to think that we're the bad guys because we're against it. That's bold. That's bold. Amen. It's wrong, and it ain't never been right, and it never will be right. And when you rationalize behavior that ought to be wrong to you, you mark her down. There's one thing at the bottom of it. Sin has done made you stupid. Amen. It's made you stupid. It's intoxicated your mind. It's warped you and twisted you. And it has absolutely made you stupid. Number three. How do you know sin has made you stupid? Number one, you uh, demonize the people that are trying to help you. You rationalize sin and things that ought to be wrong and has always been wrong. And number three, you minimize things that should be valuable to you. Herod was a king, right? That's, that was his title. I've explained that a little bit, but, but he wasn't exactly like what we might think. He was a local leader over a small territory inside the huge Roman Empire. But Herod, like all these other little territorial leaders, they all longed. They wanted more wealth. They wanted more power. They wanted more authority. They lived for that. They would literally live for that. Herod, our Herod in our text, his daddy, I mean, would go. We saw the links he would go through to retain his power. He'd kill babies. And if you think that's a history tells. Josephus says about Herod the Great that he killed one of his own sons. He killed one of his own sons because he felt like one of his sons was a threat to his throne and a threat to his rulership and his power, and so he killed one of his own sons. So he didn't want nothing for him to kill everybody else's sons. He killed one of his own. That's how how hungry they were for power, and no doubt sin was driving that. But isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing how this King Herod, whose life is about power and authority and wealth, in a sinful stupor, he gave a blank check to this girl? and said, just keep on dancing for me and my friends and you can have whatever you want. Now even for a wicked man, that's stupid. That's what he had. He had had this little territory. That's all that made him any kind of important at all. And he was willing to give up half of his kingdom just for this girl. And ultimately, he was willing to even kill a a man of God for this girl. And on the other side, I tell you that Herodias, sin made her stupid too. Think about that. She's prostituting her daughter out just to get a preacher to shut up. say, what is that? That's stupid. I want to look at them both and say, man, sin has made y'all stupid. Isn't that amazing the things that ought to be valuable to them, things that ought to be important to them, things that ought to mean something to them when sin has warped your mind, they diminish in value. We see it all the time. I've seen men give up families and children
1: and ministries
0: for some little fling. We've seen people addicted to drugs and alcohol so bad they'll sacrifice everything that ought to be valuable to them just to have it. We've seen people addicted to hobbies and sports so much they'll sacrifice their church, they'll sacrifice their service to God just to chase a ball. Teenagers so intoxicated with lust, they'll give up their own purity just for a few moments curiosity how about that I tell you what there's some things that ought to be valuable to us there ought to be some things that have a not for sale sign on them there ought to be some things that are so priceless they don't matter how many zeros the devil can write on his check it is not for sale I'll die first your home ought to be one of them your children ought to be one of them your family ought to be one of them your church ought to be one of them your purity ought to be one of them amen so valuable that the devil cannot offer you something so great. There ain't nothing so fun, ain't nothing so wonderful, there's nothing so promising that it could have any sway on you that you would ever give it up in a million years. Amen. When the devil tempted Jesus, he offered him all the kingdoms of the world. I heard a preacher say the other day, he said, well, the devil's never offered me the kingdoms of the world. Here's what that preacher said. He said, because he never had to. You sell out for a lot less. We sell out for much less than that. The devil's never had to offer the kingdoms of the world to me. He's never had to offer the kingdoms of the world to us. We sell out for a lot less. If it wiggles and dances and looks nice. Come on now. If it's shiny and, and drives fast. If it's round and you can hit it or throw it or chase it or shoot it, amen. We sell out for a lot less. And how do you know sin has made you stupid? You start putting high value on sinful things and, and, and extracurricular things and you start putting low value and low estimations on things that ought to be eternally important to you. Amen. He's willing to give it all up. Half my kingdom. Look what you're giving up for your sin. Listen, I'm just just trying to tell you, don't be stupid. (laughs) Don't be stupid. Sober up tonight. If sin has made you stupid, hey, it's time to dry out. It's time to sober up. That's the Bible word, by the way. Sober, be sober, be vigilant. First Thessalonians five, and I got one more point, and I'm already on my conclusion. But hey, First Thessalonians five tells us that we're not like the, We're not. We're not to be drunken, and we're not to be living wickedly like children of the night. We're children of the day. We're not to be sleepy and drunken like it. We're to be awake and alert and alive and aware and sober-minded. Let me give you one last one and I'm done. How do you know sin has made you stupid? You demonize people that are trying to help you. You rationalize behavior that should be wrong to you. You minimize things that should be valuable to you. And then lastly, and I'm done, you idolize the crowd's opinion of you. You make an idol out of it. Now listen, look, look what it said here. Verse 25, he'd already made this promise so "You just tell me what you want. I'm up to half the kingdom, I'll give you whatever you want." And here, and the little girl, she runs off to her mom, and mom says, "I want that preacher dead. I want him killed. I want him shut up and quit talking about. It. It's going to impact this relationship that I have if Herod decides to get right." And so she came in straightway with haste unto the king, and asked, saying, "I will." We're in verse twenty-five. That thou give me by and by in a charger. The head of John the Baptist. There's the request. There's the evil request, right? I want John the Baptist's head. Now at that moment, Herod's at another point of decision, isn't he? Now he's the king, right? We've defined that, but he has authority. He can do what he wants. So what does he do? Does he does he does he sober up and say, whoa. Okay, hold on. This is getting weighed out of hand. Well, this is, I, I'm not just gonna be in trouble with, I'm not just gonna be in trouble with Caesar, I'm not just gonna be in trouble with other territorial rulers. This is, I'm gonna be in trouble with God. Hold on a second. Whoa, 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 whoa. No. Sin has so stupefied his mind and he's so intoxicated on his own sin. Verse 26. And the king was exceeding sorry, even feeling bad, he couldn't stop. He said, yet for his oath's sake, and now look, here it is, notice. And for their sakes, which sat with him, he would not reject her. You see what just happened? That that little girl comes in and says, "Here's, here's what mama said. We want John the Baptist's head on a charger. Herod knew it was wrong. He knew he shouldn't have done it. He knew there'd be eternal consequences for it. That's what's all... That's what's all wrapped up in that little phrase. He was exceeding sorry. He's like, this isn't right. But then he looked around, and there were people. He gathered all. It, you read. It, he gathered all these rulers from all around. They're all sitting at these tables. They're having this big party. And here's what went through his mind. What would they think? What would these people? What would these people? What would these people think if I said, if I said no? They're going to think I done got religion or something. And they're going to think I done, you know, went soft. They're going to think I, I'm, a man, I'm not a man of my word. I go back on my oath because he made an oath. For his oath's sake, that's what it says, verse 26, and those that sat with him, what it all came down to is what are people going to think about me? And here's what he did. In that very moment, whether he realized it or not, in that very moment, he took what God thought about him and he took what people thought about him and he elevated man's opinion of him way up here and he took God's opinion of him and he put it down here. And he said, I'd rather be popular. I'd rather be liked. I'd rather be respected than I would. Have the favor of God and the blessing of God. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to sum that up in one word, and I think you know what word it is. That's stupid. Because when Herod got eaten by worms and he stood before God, he wasn't, his, all his friends weren't there to judge him. His friends weren't nowhere around. He had to stand and face the one that he minimized, or he will at the judgment, great white throne judgment. If You want to get technical about it, but he'll stand and face the one he devalued. You can think about this. You care so much about a crowd, some friends. You, you, you'll really elevate a bunch of other insecure people. <laughs> and you'll really elevate them way up here. And the God of the universe, you'll dismiss what he thinks and what he says. There's only one word to describe that. That's stupid. Don't fear man who can kill the body. You better fear God who can both cast the body and the soul into hell. I mean, it just, I, and I don't, I don't know any other way to put it other than living for God, selling out to God, loving Him, serving Him. It's like the most sensible thing you'll ever do. It's like literally, in my mind, I don't understand. I, don't, I know sin is deceptive. I understand that. It, it affects me. It affects you. I know these things. But man, it just makes sense. To go with God. Who cares what other people think about you? You're really going to sacrifice your eternal, play, your eternal relationship with God? You're really going to sacrifice what the God of the universe says about you to get another couple of likes on your Facebook page, on your Instagram page? So you'll be popular with whatever little crowd you're with. By the way, being popular in a certain crowd don't mean anything. Listen, even, even mental hospitals have a cool table. Just because you're sitting at the cool table don't mean anything. Look at the crowds you're around. Amen. So what? But We've idolized. We've made a God. And as long as you stay in that sin to us, your gods are pleased. That little pat on the back, that little like on social media, that little wink, that little whatever, that acceptance by a certain crowd, that means more to you than than what God thinks. And there's only one reason for that. There's only one reason for that. Sin has made you stupid. Because that's just stupid. Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad we can come to church and actually hear the truth? Because you get out in this world and you start thinking, maybe that preacher's crazy. Maybe this world is right. Maybe that preacher's crazy. And no, no, what we do when we come in on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, is we get our minds what? We get our minds renewed. And we realize, whoa, whoa, hold on. So we shake it off and think, you know, no, no, that Bible is true. That Bible's right. This world's crazy. That Bible's right. Amen. I'm here just to wake you up tonight. Say, this world's crazy, they're going to hell, it's all wicked, it's stupid, it's foolishness, it's craziness. And this Bible is the only clear road map you have. This Bible we're preaching from tonight, it's the only truth you can hold on to in a world full of error. It's the only light you have in a dark and a wicked world we're living in. And you better live your life according to this. And if you don't believe that, there's only one reason for it. Sin has made you stupid. Amen. When's the last time? And my question to you tonight is this. and I'm done, I've been preaching 46 minutes, 45 seconds. i got a little stopwatch on my watch. How about that? Are you thinking sp- clear? Is your, is your mind clear? When is the last time you were thinking clear spiritually? I'll tell you what we need. We need to put ourselves on that altar of sacrifice, give our bodies a living sacrifice, whole and acceptable unto God. We need to stop being conformed to this world and we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We need to ask God, Lord, please for the sake of my life, for the sake of my home, for the sake of my children, for the sake of my church, for the sake of those watching me, for the sake of my own soul and my own mind and my own heart. Please, God, help me think clearly Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Oh, God. Let's stand together all over the building.